Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 127 of the Galen Trombley Show, and I have John Bernardi here, and John is the president and CEO of the United Way of the Adirondack Region, and welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Galen. Yep. Glad to be here. And we have not, I, like, again, I don't think we've formally met. I've, you're one of those guys, I hear the name, I have a ton of friends that know you locally in the space. I haven't. I don't think any of them has said anything with that's even remotely under a glowing recommendation of you. So anybody that's ever said your name, every like, you know when you say something and someone will say, "Hey, they're a good person," but you don't really feel it. Like anytime they say it, they're like beaming about you. So you're you're obviously a special man, um, and you do a lot of stuff. And again, having not known you personally, but still seeing a lot of the work that you guys do and. Um, continue to do and you're very involved that I figured you'd be a fantastic person to talk to and um, kind of get to know a little bit and then I'll pick your brain and allow you kind of to share the story of United Way. So for people that do not know you, um, give us kind of a little background on you, how you got the 2021 John Bernardi. Thanks, Galen. It's great to be here and right back at you because I hear all those same accolades about you. So it's good that we're spending some time together today and I appreciate you having me here. Um, I work in the nonprofit human service field. That's all I've ever done, um, right from the time I was in my early 20s. So I'm about 35 or 36 years into the field of human service work and nonprofit management and worked in a wide variety of aspects of that field, including counseling and and uh, early childhood development and, and uh, mental health and numerous other aspects of it. So it, it sort of defines me, the whole idea of human service work and the helping profession somewhat defines me. It's part of my persona. Um, and I also consider myself sort of an old-fashioned family man. I have some old-fashioned ideals and traditions that are related mostly to family, and I take a great deal of pride in that. Um, and then probably the third component would be my love for the outdoors. I'm an avid fly fisherman. I'm a fanatic skier. I do a lot of paddling and boating and hiking, and I just have this love affair with the Adirondacks, which I've had for most of my life, all of my life. So are you originally from around here? No, I'm not. Um, I am originally from central New York, a town called New Hartford, New York, just outside of Utica, New York. And uh, I went to Paul Smith's College in the 80s and never left the region. Uh, but even before that, I had this thing for the Adirondacks and, and spent as much time as I could in the central Adirondacks around Old Forge and Inlet in that area, and then went to Paul Smith's partially because of my love for the Adirondacks. And I have, a, like I said, a love affair with the Adirondacks. What brought you to Paul Smith's? Just because it was smack dab in the middle of the Adirondacks? Well, Galen, I set out <laughs> to be a forest ranger. That okay. was that was what 
I so was going to be like Smokey the Bear. Exactly. Right. I was going to be a forest ranger <laughs> when I grew up, um, and I um, and I studied forestry and environmental science, and with with the idea that I would be a forest ranger, and then sort of by chance fell into the human service field and never pursued any further the idea of becoming a forest ranger or an environmental professional of some sort. But I've used it because I've been a guide, a fly fishing guide and a canoe guide and a um, uh, outdoor enthusiast and naturalist in various ways. But I've only worked in the human service field. So, so the uh, it allowed you to scratch the itch a little bit and get out in the wilderness and yes. still do your thing. So when you got, what was your first venture into the human service field? Like when you, it was in college, you said? Was it like volunteering or? Well, it was right after college, right after Paul Smith. I went back to the Utica area for a short time and I was looking for work and I happened to fall into this opportunity where, and, it, and of course I'm 20, 20 years old, 21 years old at the time, and I happened to fall into this opportunity and somebody offered me a job as, get this, a shop teacher for emotionally disturbed adolescents. Now, some of these kids were 16, 17, um, pushing 18, and here I'm 21, and I'm going to be a shop teacher slash counselor for these adolescents that are having these emotional issues. Um, and But I did it, and I learned a tremendous amount by doing that. Um, and that was my first... Um, experience in the human service field and this course was not a public school but it was a special school for children with emotional disturbances so what about it drew you into it like what what yeah first experience like what was the thing that you're like this is it this you is know like- i realized i was pretty good at it that i could relate to people and i was a good listener and i could form these meaningful relationships with people where communication could flow and and be useful and effective and and I enjoyed it um and the alternative at the time was to be a flag man on the highway for the county department so county public works department so I thought okay I think I'll stick with the human service field because it really is very enjoyable very rewarding work and I think I recognized that early on and I've built my career and my life around it and what's interesting there is I um, certainly have not become wealthy um, in terms of wealth, but the enrichment of my life is is so significant. Um, and I make a good living. I'm not complaining. I'm very, very grateful. Um, but, you know, friends of mine and people have gone in different directions and, you know, and, and that's taken them in, in a different direction. And sometimes that means that they're, they've been able to build incredible amounts of wealth that I have not. But the quality of my life um, is envious to a lot of the people who have gone on to become multimillionaires. And, mm-hmm. and a few of my friends have said, you know what, I would, if I could go back in time, I would choose that quality of life over chasing the buck all the, all the time. And so I have no no regrets. I'm very grateful. And, and, and again, I make a good living and I have a great life and I can't complain about a thing. Well, isn't it, uh, kind of what you just said, like 
You ever watched, I mean, you must have, Wonderful Life, sure. Wonderful Life, George Bailey. Well, oh, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. It's my, it's my top three Christmas movies. Me too. And, um, yeah, and I, I love the black and white version. They came out with a colored version, or say it like, a, like they redid it, and, nah. had, and I'm like, I don't want to see that. No. I want to see the original no. black and white. No. So, I uh, know the movie very well, so anything yeah. you're going to tell me, I'm going to well, recognize. It's like at the very end, like when George Bailey, when they start talking about he's got this bad life, and his, his brother died, and he started yeah. kind of doing the flashbacks, like, well, you helped... Uh, God, I forgot his uh, brother's name going down the sled into the water. Yeah. Like if you weren't Harry. there, Harry, there, yeah, if you didn't do this. And, and and again, you kind of look at the end where he's talking about, you know, owes money and not does not the wealth, but then they're like, well, you're the, you're the richest man in town because yeah. everybody loves you. And, you know, I kind of, I think about that a lot with people because it, it's true. Like at the end of the day, nobody cares how you really end is how you affect people. And that's, right. you know, if you build wealth along the way, great, that's good on you, whatever. But I think, um, Especially as I've gotten older too, you like you realize certain things, you know, like how you can touch people and how you can interact with a bigger, a bigger group of people and have not necessarily uh, financial influence, but just like um, whether it be you, you know your presence is an influence or your uh, or your reputation up to that certain level. You're like you know what, John's a very honest, hardworking, um, has track record that's decades long of just success and. I mean, I'm sure if I ask you, he's like, well, I got failures and stuff, but it's built you to who you are now. And I think that that's kind of cool when you start going and it just reminded me of, of It's a Wonderful Life. Because at the very end, that's like what you should aspire to. Like, you know, just people just absolutely yeah. wanted to be around you, like a good person. And we'll watch that movie. And I have three sons. They're, they're 19, 24, and 28. And I, we'll watch that movie every every Christmas season. And... You know, I get choked up at the end. I can't help it. And I've seen it, honestly, 30, 40 times, this movie. Um, but every time I get choked up. And you know what? They do, too. Yeah. They, you know, they can't help it. Because it's that's really what life is about. And I've realized that. Um, and it's easy for me to say because, you know, I have everything I need and everything I want. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate. So it's easy for me to say that, um, but um, really, that's what life is about. It's not about material things, or it's about relationships and it's about memories, and that's really um, very important. And um, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Um, and I, and you know, we help a lot of people that have nothing. Um, they have nothing except for the relationships and for the uh, the value of their family. And there's a lot of people in our society that are less fortunate than you and I. Um, mm -hmm. And they they need our empathy and they need our understanding. And I'm proud to be a part of that. It's been very meaningful. And, and I'm sure that just puts things in perspective for you every day. Again, it's kind of the idea you, uh, we talk about you're gonna hear a train go flying yeah. through here too. I always tell. I hear it. I like I, it. It's, I always. I was on the phone today before. I'm like, we're actually in an active train station, yeah. so it's not just we're in the train Good. station. It's active. So, um, and it always seems that just random. I could never figure out when these trains go by. I've never kept a ledger. I try to, but they're so sporadic. I've never gone down the Amtrak. Just looked at the schedule. Yeah. But they come whenever. And it's more of the cargo trains now than Amtrak. But um, where I was going with that is if. Um, I'm trying to think. So you ended up mentioning about um, what was I going to say? The oh, about putting your problems into a circle. We talked about like if you had a bunch of people and they threw their ideas and problems into the circle, what you're complaining about, you'd be quick to grab your problems back because people are always dealing. 
most of the time you're not dealing with as big of problems as you think. Um, and I think for, I mean, is that something that you like find when you oh deal my, with these people? That's oh. just like, listen, I got my blessings every day. I don't have to go through that or whatever. Absolutely, I yeah. see it every day. So that's yeah. that's a constant reminder. You know the the issues that come through our office and the things we're called upon to help people with are so significant um, that it reminds me on a daily basis how insignificant my problems are. Now, now honestly, that's not to say I'm not going to complain and whine mm-hmm. like we it's all human. do. It's yeah. human nature. Yep. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, I definitely know that my problems pale in comparison to what some people are facing and you know I'm lucky too for the most part I I have my own health and my immediate family all has their health and you know those kinds of issues can affect you regardless of the size of your bank account Um, but at the same time I see people who are really struggling we call them Alice families Alice stands for asset limited income constrained employed we used to we used to say working poor and it's okay to say that mm-hmm. um, but Alice is just a different way of looking at it and and there are tens of thousands of families in our region who fall into that category they're, they're hard-working people they're working two and three jobs per household um, and they're above the federal poverty limit which is very low so they're not eligible for a lot of the government Assistance. subsidies that are out there Yet, they don't make enough to be fully independent and self-sufficient, so they fall between this, in this gap of, um, of really being on the edge of the financial cliff every day. So little things like you and I would take for granted, things like a flat tire or a leaky roof mm-hmm. or a broken furnace, for you and me, those would be nuisances. Mm-hmm. They would be inconveniences, things that we have to take time out of our day to deal with. But for some people in our community and across the region, those those types of things can lead to a catastrophic chain of events, which, which could end up with homelessness, unemployment, um, having to make decisions between keeping the car on the road or getting medication for the child. Um, or getting groceries, or uh, paying the rent, or uh, all these uh, life-changing decisions based on a small occurrence that you and I would find to be a nuisance, like a flat tire or, or a uh, broken furnace. So it's 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 significant, and I'm reminded on a daily basis how fortunate I am, and how um, not just in my personal life, but also in my professional life that I can work toward making life better for people. How, how did you get up to the area? I mean, not area, I shouldn't say area. How did you get up to Plattsburgh, like at the United Way? Yeah, well, I, um, I was in Saranac Lake in Bloomingdale for about 10 years. Um, and um, then um, uh, was commuting to different jobs, Elizabethtown and Keysville from Bloomingdale. Um, and then I worked for a short time for Planned Parenthood of, of the North Country as the associate uh, executive director way back when. Um, and I wasn't there too long. It wasn't a great fit for me, um, but a great organization, but it just wasn't a great fit for me. Uh, but in the, while I was there, I moved from Bloomingdale to Saranac. 
to be closer to Plattsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then from there, I actually went back to Adirondack Community Action Programs as the CEO. So I was commuting from Saranac to Elizabethtown. And then one day I was having um, lunch in Elizabethtown with Mike Mannix, who was the, uh, my predecessor at United Way, legend in, in, in this town, in the region. And we were good friends, and he said he was going to retire, and he said, I think you should throw your hat in the ring. And I said, geez, Mike, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm very happy running ACAP. I want to, you know, I'm going to stay put. And he said, okay, I understand that, but I think you should give it some thought. And I did, uh, and I ended up pursuing it and getting in. That was in 06, so I'm approaching okay. the 15-year mark. Have you always been the president CEO? Yes. At the time? Yes. How, now, how has the organization changed since 2006 to now? Well, significantly. Okay. Um, it was, um, at one time, it was only serving Clinton County. Um, then we expanded into Essex County. Then we expanded into Franklin County, which led us to change our name to United Way of the Adirondack Region. So we, we truly became a regional organization and in some in some cases we pioneered this idea of regionalization um uh, for example my good friend gary douglas who runs the chamber he and i are good pals and i remember him saying once years ago that he watched us develop this regional approach into essex and then franklin and Mm -hmm. and he commented about how that was a model for um, other organizations, including the chamber. Mm-hmm. Would, um, and so I was really proud of that. Um, and what helped me with that was um, I had relationships across the region based on my human service work over that long period of time. Um, and so I had relationships in Essex County and Franklin County and, um, and uh, at the time probably had less relationships in the greater Plattsburgh area than I did in the other outlying areas. Uh, So tapping into those later on um, really helped me create this regional approach to the human service work. So the size of the people, so has the organization grown in in, uh, employees or, or, you know, United Way, how many people actually work at United Way right now? It, it fluctuates. Um, we're pretty lean and mean. Um, we take a lot of pride in being extremely efficient and having low overhead because we want our donors, generous donors like you, um, to, to recognize that we are being efficient and that we're making a difference in the, in the community. So we, we're very mindful. Me, personally, I'm very mindful um, of our overhead and our administrative rate. And so we've fluctuated between 13 and 15% admin rate, which is very low for a nonprofit. Um, more typical nonprofit is in the 25% range. We take a lot of pride in that. So again, donors like you, when you're deciding where you're going to where you're going to donate to, you take a close look at us and you say, that's a good investment because first of all, they're efficient. Secondly, they're actually relevant. Mm -hmm. And third, they're making a difference in people's lives. So our staffing has fluctuated. We do, we do some grant development work um, and that will fluctuate our, our staff. Right now I have four people in the organization, but we've been as many as eight 
and it um, some part time, not all, not all full time, but it it fluctuates between four and eight. Um, I mean, when I talk about like donations and stuff, like I again, as you get older, you start appreciating like you know when you're a kid, you're like you don't donate because you're like I don't have any money, you know, right. and you feel more of like a selfish. As you get older, it's like you have a little bit more money, but then you start realizing there's other people that. I don't even know where to begin with stuff. So it's like I like you know what it's the same thing. I hire an accountant. I hire a finance guy because they know they know what they do. I'm, I'm I always joke with my buddies. I'm like a set it, forget it. Like I'm hiring you to do it because I trust you. Same thing when I do donations. Like if you give it to an organization that knows what they're doing, I know it's going to the right people. Right. I don't have to vet. I don't have the time. Like you said, I don't want to think about it. I want like hey, I want to. I know they're going to make a difference, and I'm going to let them be the professionals and, and run it. And my thing with donations. I'm a big proponent of donating locally versus like the I, you, every donation I believe is good. It's coming from a good place, but to me, it's like I hate when stuff goes out of the area. When I'm like, man, just there's so many people here that Absolutely. need help. It's like well, I, I get that, and, and I don't downplay any other place that needs help. But it's at the end of the day, it's like you're walking down walk down the street. And you don't know these people because they're not going to tell you. Um, and most people, like I said, have a sense of pride and they don't want it publicly known, but. As you, I'm sure you do, you can walk down and say, "Yeah, there's like just we just walk down that street, and I can already pinpoint a bunch of scenarios where those people need help for whatever reason, stuff that I've haven't even fathomed, you know." Because, right. um, I mean, I I have grown up, you know, when I was a kid up to now, like I've always been. Um, I came from a good background, and you know, I have a good living, and you know, I try to provide for my family. But um, some of these people just get short end of the stick, and they just haven't. And to me, um, I do like the aspect of kind of reaching and helping your neighbor climb the hill kind of thing. If you're going to try to get to the top of the hill, bring people with you. Don't, you know, don't squash people down and try to, you know, get on their back and climb. It's so, I think the stuff that you guys are doing to me stands out. Uh, but what are some of, so people that maybe don't know what you do, because I had to do a little bit of research too sure. originally on it. It's, I know where you guys are located. As a kid, you drive by, you see the thermometer build every year. Like I know, I know it. You got the, you got the logo. It's obviously a brand, but can you just speak about what the United Way is? Um, you know, United Way is obviously like a um, kind of like an affiliation of a larger group. Um, what it is, who do you support? Obviously, you talk about who you reach out to, but kind of what are your main facets of if you give money or you give time to United Way of the you know Adirondack region? What are they expected to do, yeah. or where's it going? Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity to do that. Every United Way is independent, so it is a brand, mm -hmm. and there are United Ways all over the country. But it's an association, so we're not a chapter. We're a locally incorporated organization. Our board of directors, made up of all local people, makes the decisions. Um, and so we're locally run, locally operated. Every penny we raise stays local. We don't send any money out of the area. Um, and that's unique to the United Way system because there are other international charities, I won't name them, that are wonderful um, but they're, they're one large organization, so they're, they have chapters here in Plattsburgh and other places as well. And um, they work in a different system than we work in because, again, every United Way is locally incorporated and governed by its own board of directors. So we make our own decisions. Every penny we raise stays local. And we're very pleased with that aspect of it. It's very, very important. And raising money is, a, is an important component of what we do, but it's only a small portion of the work that we do. We do raise money and we invest it 
through a network of partner agencies, 40 across the region, and we fund certain programs and services within those agencies that are high priority needs. Um, and um, we um, also fund a, a wide variety of other programs that um, are uh, brought to us for consideration. And they're, they're always based on what's needed the most in the community and, and how is it going to be most useful and effective. So raising money and, and granting that money out is a big part of what we do, but again, only a part. Um, we also do a tremendous amount of convening. So if there is an issue that is pressing in any community, we're often called upon to build the group or coalition that is necessary to address that issue. These issues could be poverty, um, foster care, uh, the, uh, the urgent need for foster care. We've been highly involved in, in that. Um, most recently, and I was talking to your colleagues about my work regarding the, um, the vaccination process, particularly we were called upon to lead a effort um, that would allow equity across the vaccine spectrum. So this would mean that people who are maybe low income or disabled or elderly or homeless would be given equal access to the vaccine. Um, and we call it the Health Equity Task Force and really meaningful, important work. And of course, the vaccination process is a personal choice that people have to make. And we're not trying to make that choice for them. But what we are doing instead is making sure that if you want it, you can get it, regardless of how much money you make or what kind of disability you have or what your living situation is. And so um, really, really meaningful, enjoyable, uh, rewarding work. And so those are a few examples. Um, our mission is to be a leader in community partnership building and to increase the organized capacity of people to care for one another. And within that mission statement, just says it all. Again, mm -hmm. community partnerships, we're building every day and increasing that capacity for people to care for one another, whether it's raising money or addressing um, issues that are important. For example, when COVID, uh, a year ago, when COVID was really um, urgent and critical, it still is, but it was more so a year ago, um, we were called upon by the counties, um, all three counties, Clinton, Essex, and Franklin, to help distribute personal protective equipment to businesses that um, needed it. So face masks and hand sanitizer, and, and uh, we put a lot of effort into that to make sure that people, mostly employees, had the equipment they needed to be able to work safely. And so we're one of those organizations that um, is very flexible, very fluid, and very responsive. And, you know, people appreciate that about us, particularly community leaders and government people. Uh, when they think about, okay, something needs to get done, we don't know what organization would be able to do this, so let's just 
call John or go to the United Way because if he can't do it, he'll know who can do it. Mm-hmm. And so we get these kinds of inquiries on a weekly basis, and and it really is fun for me. Um, and I like the challenge of that, but but also it's it keeps us relevant because if we're not relevant, so if Galen Trombley doesn't think United Way is a relevant organization, mm-hmm. and you're and people are like you are uh, like-minded people um, are uh, having the same thoughts, I'm out of business, and so I have to I have to stay relevant. I have to be looking for opportunities, and I like to say that. Um, we go looking for trouble. I say this all the time because people say, "How come you know? How come your your organization so well thought of?" And and I say, "Well, we go looking for trouble. So when there's an issue, we don't hide mm-hmm. and say, geez, I hope nobody calls us.' And some nonprofits do that. I got to be honest. When you know, some nonprofits do that. When there's an issue, their their approach is, "Ooh, I hope the phone doesn't ring. I hope nobody bothers me. Let's stay out of the fray." Mm-hmm. Um, we don't operate that way. When there's an issue, we start calling out, hey, I heard there's an issue. What, do, what can we do to help you? And we go looking for trouble. And it's paid off. Um, when you say relevant, too, I kind of always take that in like my business. I always try to stay. Um, I, I don't want to just like forget a skill or I don't want to get too far removed for something because same thing. I always want to kind of keep like take real estate. I want to understand what buyers and sellers are facing. Maybe I don't work with you know, as much as one at the other or whatever, but I still want to have my like, kind of have my pulse on the market kind of thing. So it's the same thing. So for in your, you guys sake is that when you guys are finding, you say the trouble, but you're well versed with all the other organizations. Cause right. Cause again, United way, from my understanding, I think you had mentioned it before it filters through you, but then you end up helping other organizations locally. Correct. So it's kind of a double, double hit. Yes. So what other organizations are within can I call it the United Way umbrella? Is that fair? absolutely okay. that that's used a lot or network network? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, network. Those both of those terms are used a lot. And you know, it's really fun for me to be part of a network or umbrella. Um, it's really so interesting, and and that's that's part of the reason people will call upon us because they know we have those relationships or we know where to turn. But some local organizations that. You're very familiar with, of course, I'll name a few, our JCEO, of course, they're a partner agency of ours. NCAVI, which is North Country Association for the Visually Impaired. Oh, yeah. Amy you know Kretzer. Amy Kretzer? Yep, yep. She was just in my office this morning. Yeah. Love Amy. Yeah, Amy's Good great. friend. Yeah. Um, Hospice of the North Country mm-hmm. It's another partner agency. Um, and um, the Ted K Center, which is the which is a youth center run by Plattsburgh Housing Authority. Okay, I don't, great. I'm not familiar. With great that. program. Okay, um, and um, Champlain Valley Family Center, which is Connie Willie's outfit, and they they deal mostly with um, substance abuse and mental health issues. But great organization, NAMI, um, National Alliance on Mental Illness. A young lady by the name of Amanda Bullris runs that. Outstanding. Um, Small grassroots organization. Um, She did something really interesting. It's worth mentioning a couple of weeks ago. Um, She took it upon herself. I helped her a little bit, but I give her the credit um, because she did it. Um, She got a partnership together 
um, with the Red Cross and CVPH. And she went out, boots on the ground, knocking on doors um, in homeless shelters across the community. And she, um, with help from some volunteers and these other organizations, in one day got um, 40 homeless people vaccinated. This is just a couple of weeks ago, and this is the kind of work. So she came to me and said, John, this is what I'm doing. Can you help me with A, B, and C? And I said, of course. And so, you know, that, that, um, that's an example of this network that we're part of. But there's a few organizations right here in the greater Plattsburgh area for you to think about. The, uh, well, I think that there's, there's something... Again, I think there's, a, I mean, parallels in the sense of being connected with people, like the relationship building. You know, I, I think I have a ton of great friends that I've met through networking and business. You know, sure. they just happen to be, you know, kind of like-minded and you just yeah. kind of eventually kind of partner up and, be, and become good friends. Um, but there is something powerful to having those relationships. If someone calls me with a need, um, I've had... The first time I heard it, it was actually it actually kind of like surprised me when someone said it because I didn't really think myself this way. But when you kind of look over the years of what happens, and people said, "Well, Galen knows everybody," or he's a, like a connector, and I'm like, because I remember a few years back being like, "I don't know any of these people," and then it just naturally just through talking, yeah. and, you know, people kind of connect and gravitate. But I like being that because I like being the resource for somebody. If somebody comes to me and says, I need help with that, it's like I may not be able to help you, but give me a call because I I know there's a chance I know somebody. And if I can make your job that much easier, make your path to fig- figuring out the answer a little more streamlined, let's do it. Um, so again, I kind of look at you as we kind of were saying, everybody that I've ever talked to has mentioned your name one way or the other, all, always positive. But I'm like, how do all these guys and gals know John? And um, it, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's powerful. I mean, you obviously have been connected, but you've, you've spent many, many years connecting with many different people from young to I'll say established and all across the uh, the region, but you know, obviously, you're doing a fantastic job when it comes to that. Because I think, again, if I hear John Bernard, it's usually followed with some some very high accolade that you would put on, in like a dictionary or thesaurus. That John Bernard, fantastic. Like you could put him in synonymous. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the word I got, but everybody said some really good things about you. Um, so, speaking of, you, you said you are, uh, like I said, a lucky man having you know minimal problems, having a good work life and everything else, but, um, obviously health is wealth kind of thing. And I, I know, and then this is what I know from you. I didn't know about the fly fishing. We'll talk about fly fishing. But All right. I did know you were a skier. Yes. And multiple people have told me you're a good skier. Great skier. Actually, this was, I think the verb um, they'd used at the time or I, adjective. I adjective, can't there. think of a better compliment verb. <laughs> no, adjective. I mean a great skier or whatever you want to call it. Um, semi pro skier. The, uh, <laughs> so I, I ended up picking up skiing I always, so I started skiing, I went like two or three times when I was in high school, mm-hmm. just on a school trip, nothing mm-hmm. crazy. And then it wasn't until probably in the last 10 years, take away this year and last year, up until that time, I probably went twice in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, you know what? I had some buddies that were skiing, Jared Burns, um, yeah. Adam Crosley, yeah. Nick Bracey. Um, and we were like, let's just start going right. Cause the winters are long. I did nothing during the winters, like right. for active level, I'm gym and stuff, but it was never any like outdoor yeah. thing. So I'm like, I'm going to start skiing. So then this is me. I start skiing and skiing's a lot of fun, but 
I get to the point where I'm like, I got to get better at skiing because I see I see these people, young, I see these little kids bombing by me. I see these old <laughs> people on the skis and they're flying by, and I'm like, I'm just I'm missing something. Yeah. I heard okay, so I want to hear how'd you get into skiing? What's the secret to skiing? What's your favorite thing? Give me all the stuff about skiing because oh, I, I know boy. you're a big ski nut. So yeah, boy, you got me started on a road that could lead to <laughs> any. This is the rest of the Any podcast, place. right? The ski um, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I actually started when I was very, very young. My mother was the skier in our family, and she really put a lot of effort into making sure that we had that experience and dragged us all over, all over the place. In fact, one of the places we used to go in the 70s was Big Tupper in Tupper Lake, New York, which is been closed for years now but at at the time in the 70s and through the 80s and into the mid 90s actually um was a a great place to ski um but I started before I was three um and I'm proud to say that all my children started before three boys um they all started before the age of three my wife, um, who I met at Paul Smith's, by the way, okay. and so we've been, um, we've been. She was nine. She was um, eighteen, and I was nineteen when we when we met. I'm fifty five, and she's fifty four. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, she she had a little skiing background when when we met, but has since um, maybe you know. I don't know why, but because she has to live with me, has become her own <laughs> kind of fanatic. Um, and, and she's a great skier. Um, but, you know, there's something about it, Galen. It's, and, and, if you, and I know you've been skiing with Jared and Adam and Ryan, right? Ryan Lee? Right. Oh, yes, Ryan. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and I think, you, or Jared and Adam, you guys were getting together we were like going weekly, on Wednesdays right? That's and, beautiful. And, yeah. and it, I wanted to it, join it's you open. guys. It's an open invitation. I'm going to do it. If you want to go, you oh, warm up and come yep. up. Especially if you're like, yep. yeah, if you're fun to hang out with, you're, you're more than Absolutely. More to no, I want, uh, Jared was telling me about it, but there's, and you know, because you've been doing it, but there's, it's not only a great way to spend time outdoors in the winter, mm-hmm. but there's so many other aspects to skiing that are spectacular. Um, the camaraderie, which I'm sure you can you can appreciate, is is a big part of it. The social aspect of skiing is incredible, and there's other sports that share that, like golf, for mm-hmm. example. But um, the camaraderie and the social aspect of it is just unbelievable. And then for me, there is this um, love of the mountains. So I like to be in the high country. I love being in the high country. I love the views. I love the crisp air, the feeling of um, just being so content when I'm in the mountains. So, um, and you know, the the talk on a chairlift, you get on a chairlift. By the way, anything said on a chairlift stays on the chairlift. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't ever forget that. That's very important. Um, but I've always been a winter lover. I love the snow. I love the winter. I look forward to winter. Um, and um, it's, just, it's just enhanced my life in incredible ways. In fact, all my boys are home right now. My oldest son lives in Boston, works for Wayfair. My middle son, get this, works in Vail, Colorado for Vail Resorts. He runs the lift department out nice. there. 
Um, <laughs> Not uh, a bad cake. Right? <laughs> and then my youngest son is a, is a uh, freshman at St. Lawrence University. So it just happens this week that they're all home. Nice. Um, and we're, we were having dinner last night, and, and, I, and I said, do you ever notice that every conversation around this table ends up going back to skiing? And, and one of them said, it's added such a connection for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so there's the family aspect of it, too, that is just so important. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to get those same elements. But um, for me, um, skiing is um, really the one that pulls all those different pieces together. Another quick example is, you know, Whiteface closed on the 10th of April. I was there on the last day um, and they they closed down. It was a great last day, beautiful day. Um, my wife and I were there. Then we went to Lake Placid and had lunch at the cottage, had a great day. Yeah, yeah. And then I said to my wife, she and she laughed because she knew that it was baloney, but I said to her, you know what? I'm going to be good this spring. I'm done. I said, I'm, I am, I'm going to be okay by with letting the ski season go this year. And she chuckled. And I said, I'm, I'm going to put everything away this afternoon and I'm going to get the fly rod out and get, get ready to fish and get the, I have a little Boston whaler. I'm going to get the boat ready and we're going to paddle and we're going to move on. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we'll see about that. Sure. And then, so this is a Saturday. So by, by Tuesday, I come home from work and I said to her, this is three days later. I said to her, "You want to go to Sugarbush on Saturday?" She's like, "Yeah." So we went. <laughs> we went because they're still open. So we went to Sugarbush mm-hmm. for stayed overnight, mm-hmm. skied, and then we're on our way home from that. And I said, "Now this time I'm really done." Um, and she laughed again. And I said, "No, no, no. This is it. We're done." And she laughed. Um, and then by. Monday, the following Monday, I came home from work and I said, you want to go to Jay on Saturday? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so we went up, stayed overnight. Um, this yeah. is just last weekend. Um, had a ball. Just her and I, we went up. We, 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 uh, it's a little adventure. You know, we, we, we go up on Saturday afternoon. We have dinner, stay overnight, ski Sunday, and we're home by, you know, four or five o'clock Sunday afternoon. It's, it's just really, really special. What's your favorite uh, mountain? I well, guess, what's your favorite east mountain and what's your favorite west mountain? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question, depending on, or trails, depending I guess, on or... who listens to this podcast. Okay. I could get in. Yeah, don't, make, don't lose I friends. I could get here. in serious trouble. Um, we have some, um, listen, Plattsburgh, the, Plattsburgh, I don't understand why Plattsburgh is not a ski town, if you think about it. It's never really been a ski town, and I've never understood that mm-hmm. because within two hours in any direction you have access to world-class skiing i can be to jay peak in two hours i could be sugar bush stowe even killington even killington it's yeah. like 215 yeah like, um and then of course you go to tremblant in uh quebec but i'm only, you know what i'm only going to talk about our local ski areas because i have a true love for them I'm a white face guy. That's where my pass and locker is. Mm-hmm. I love the mountain. Um, and it's a phenomenal mountain. And it's, it, we're, it's a treasure for us to have in this region. The size of it and the vertical that we have at over 3,000 feet is unheard of. There's only one place in, 
in Vermont that has over 3,000 vertical. We have it right here in Whiteface. Um, it's Killington, by the way. Um, but Whiteface is an absolute gem. Um, we're very lucky to have it. I also go down to Gore often, which is the sister mountain to mm -hmm. Whiteface, and my pass is for both. But I also want to talk about Titus, which is a wonderful... That's where I learned how to ski. ...family-oriented yeah. mountain owned by my good friends, the Manette family, Bruce and Brian and Dude. And um, they um, they do a phenomenal job, and it's just a just a super friendly, fun place. The snow's great. Love Titus. And then I would be re remiss if I didn't mention Beartown, our local ski hill, mm -hmm. um, which is a... Which had, has had a revival lately. Had a revival. Yeah. They had a great season. Amy was just telling me yeah. all about it. She's very involved in that, Amy Kretzer and... Mm -hmm. and um, and other people, Mike Colleen and, and other people that yeah. I know who have given their time to, to make sure that place is available for local kids. And we actually funded, um, Amy had come to me last fall and said that they would not be able to open Beartown if they couldn't get certain safety precautions in place. And is there anything I could do to help? And we found some some avenues through some grants that we had to to help Bear Town get what they they needed, um, so you know, Whiteface, Titus, and Bear Town are absolute gems of places that we're very lucky to have in this region. And there's one in Saranac Lake too. It's town owned called Mount Pisgah, which is another okay. small family family oriented neighborhood hill. Um, but I've been all over too. I've um, had the fortune of having a mother who um, would take me places. This is a great story. In 1980, so um, I don't know if I was a freshman in high school, maybe in 1980, something like that. Um, and my father had just died like the year year before. He died in 79. So in 1980, I think I must have been a freshman in eighth or ninth grade, something like that. My mother approaches me and she says, um, would you, I'm going to give you this great choice. Would you like to go to Lake Placid and see, go to the Winter Olympics? Mm -hmm. Because I got a line on some tickets to a hockey game. Or <laughs> would you rather go to Aspen, Colorado and go skiing? And I, that was a tough decision, right? You know, I was whatever, 13, 14, 15 years old, 14 maybe. Um, and ultimately decided to go to Colorado. Well, you know the ticket she had was for that Seven game. Semifinal? Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a great story? But you know what? I don't have any hey, You watch it, though. You get to watch it after. Of course. <laughs> and I've watched the movie I don't know how many times. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I've been all over thanks to, um, thanks to my family. Um, been to Colorado a couple of times in Utah. I've never been to Europe skiing but you know what i'd rather ski local people say how oh, your son's in Vail. how come you're not out there all the time well i want to see my son don't get me wrong of course but i like skiing local i like i like being at whiteface um we, we go to titus a couple of times a year um usually during the holiday period and then at the end of the season we go over to vermont i really enjoy it mm -hmm. we uh well so i got in but kind of what you were saying before I got in this, I always loved skiing. So anytime I went on a school trip, I'm like, you'll leave the mountain. You're like, why don't I do this more often? Yeah. My parents never skied. I didn't really have a collection of friends that skied. I just, 
I just wasn't with a crowd that really skied in high school, so I never really picked it up. And it wasn't until I got older and I found out that some of my friends, like I said, that had met more through you know networking and business and stuff, that they were all they all went skiing. And now, now, in, now in the fall or uh, uh, sorry, the spring and summer, we're all the golf buddies. We you know right. play golf, but we all ski. So it's been so much fun just having people to go up and go skiing with. And same thing, I go up and I have a blast every single time. And there's something about so when we go skiing, we go Wednesday, uh, we usually go on Wednesdays. We meet in Plattsburgh at about seven o'clock in the morning. Car pull up. We're down there. I mean, as you know, they open up eight thirty. I think is yeah. the first run. We get it. We get there at like eight ten. Maybe take our time, put our yep. stuff on, walk up. You're usually at the chairlift for I don't know, maybe ten minutes, just kind of shooting the breeze, right. and then you hop on and you go. And we're usually back in our cars, driving home, probably about ten thirty. Yeah, maybe ten forty five if we want one more. You know, kind of finishing up an extra run. Yeah. But um, there's something about it's like. It's really cool when you can go stand on the summit of Whiteface and then at noon I'm sitting here having a meeting with somebody or a podcast or doing a conversation or at an appointment and there's something so crazy about that. It's like I was just up and it is something, again, morning, same thing with golf. If you go golfing, I don't know if you do golf at all. I don't. But it's, it's kind of the same, a similar feeling. It's yeah. not the same, but similar feeling going in the morning when it's like you got the dew, you got the birds chirping. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's just kind of things are still kind of quiet from the day. Um, and I find out when you go up there, especially on a really really clear day, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I, there's something about being in the mountains. I like it. For me, it's an escape. I can, you know, I usually have my phone on me, but I'm not checking my phone right. that often. In the in the gondola, we'll you know, if we got to rattle right. off some work stuff, right. but for the most part, once you once you get close, you put the phone away. You just it's a solid what it could be 20 30 minutes of just like skiing and like you said it's nice out you're with friends you stop you have laughs you joke you make fun of each other you just kind of rag each other and then you go skiing and i i would say the guys that i go skiing with i'm definitely the lowest guy on the totem pole usually when it comes to skill level and i like that because it always pushes me beyond my comfort zone and um i was kind of adam crosley's he's been skiing for a while but he's it doesn't have a lot of fear. And his I always say which direction he goes down. That's his thing. Just down. Just you'll figure it out. You get down to the bottom. So so a few times I've gone on some uh, trails that I probably wouldn't have picked myself to go down, but you're with everybody. You're like, let's go down this one. I'm like, okay, well, trial by fire, let's just go down and figure yeah. it out. And I've gotten better, but a lot of it is like technique and stuff I'm trying to learn. But for the most part I try to um, there's only a couple runs at Whiteface that really kind of make me nervous still to go on, but for sure. the most part I can I can hit I don't like going down Skyward. I had one. I've only been down it once. Had fall, fell halfway down, and then made it down the rest of the way on skis, and then all the way down. But I'm usually like get up to the top. I hit the uh, the, the Follies and Perrins, yep. and then I absolutely love Victoria. That's yep. one of my favorite runs. And yep. you just kind of work your way down. And I I've gotten used to it. And each year I get a little better. And I uh, two years ago, no, yeah, two years ago I bought skis for the first time. And I mean, that makes a difference. You're not renting skis, right. but you're going up all the time. I, I've, I got a pass last year for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to going. It was kind of a bummer. This, this year was cut a little bit short for me with obviously with COVID, with work and with um, we had a newborn. So it's like all this stuff kind of like jammed together. But I'm hoping next year to get back into it. But there's something about hanging out with some buddies early in the morning, just the camaraderie. And one of my favorite ski days, because I don't get the ski beyond 
10 30 too often right um like the chamber ski day i absolutely love because you get to go up and you get to have lunch and then you go back out for a few more runs and it's just fun about staying the whole day and so like the afternoon it's even when it gets a little warmer out it's still fun to ski in the afternoon even um so i find that like for me it's like a mental getaway it's like an escape um you know i i I pack my days in a lot i have a lot of stuff going on so it's just nice when you kind of just reset and just say you know what i'm just gonna enjoy the like where I'm just gonna be like living in the moment, going down the going down the trail, yeah. seeing the especially when it's so pretty out with the, like fresh snow on the trees or powder mm. and stuff. And um, I, I I absolutely love skiing. I again I'm, I'm very new to it, but when I find people that are good at it, and especially when you watch, I love. At some point, I'll, I'll watch you ski, and I'm just gonna love watching because people that just have done it for years, they just have a grace to them when they ski. I would deem myself, I can get down, but you're not going to look at me and be like, that, he's a graceful skier. You're going to be like, well, at least he didn't hurt himself getting down. So um, so that, that will come though. I'll get a little better technique oh, yeah. and a little more confidence. But I think um, just the act of just going out and skiing is so much fun. And just the, you know, the air, like you said, the clean air up in the mountains. And um, and again, just seeing people enjoy themselves. And, and I, my kids don't ski yet, but my youngest just turned three. Or might not my youngest, my oldest just turned three. So... I'm hoping to get back into it. My wife used to snowboard back in college and you know, now that we're done with the kid situation, try to slowly get him into that and kind of do like family trips or Does she want to get back into it? Yeah, she does. Good. Yeah. Yeah, she uh she used to snowboard a lot and she's got a little she played uh, college soccer, so her knees are a little uh, rickety. So we got to we're, we're working on getting those um, you know, tuned back up for her, but she's looking to get back out and doing it, especially, you know, if we can start dragging the kids out and doing it. And I think they will. I think they'll gravitate towards it, but I got to, what's the best way to get a kid on skis? Mountain or you think just kind of tow them around the yard or? Well, um, the, um, there's one really important element there and you, you won't forget this because it's in your nature, but sometimes people do forget it. It's got to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's got to be fun. You want your child to have fun. Um, especially during the introductory phase. So keep it fun. You know, back in the old days, parents would push their kids and what are you crying for? Get up. You know, that, that approach, it just doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. I think make it fun. Um, and I, um, I started my kids basically out in the yard with, with boots and skis and you can go up to Viking at any point when the kids are ready and they'll, rent you for the season if you want mm-hmm. um it's a good friend of mine who owns viking um david colleen mm-hmm. um and um uh they'll outfit your kids and, and the best thing you can do is get the boots on them and the skis on them and and go out in the yard and tow them tow them around a little bit just let them get the feel for the having the skis on their feet um and then you can graduate at whiteface or titus by the way, they have these magic carpet lifts. Yeah. So we didn't have them when we were kids. Um, yeah, the tow rope. You the might have, but I certainly didn't. Um, I, I grew up on a T-bar, and they talk about a torture device. Um, but um, these magic carpets, you just step on these conveyors, and they gently bring you up a, you know, 100 or 200 feet vertical, and then you gentle slope down. Great fun way for kids to learn. But even before you do that, Get them out in the yard standing on their skis and tow them around a little bit and make it fun. You know, just keep it keep it fun the whole time and then you're going to create um, enthusiasts for the 
for the sport. And then one other thing I wanted to mention to you, um, shoot, I forgot it. We're talking about, oh, um, just an interesting correlation. You're talking about golf and, and obviously you're, um, you're an avid golfer too, but I I never really got into golf, played a little bit of it. And then I found that I just didn't have the time because Mm -hmm. of fly fishing and boating and paddling and all these interests I have. Mm -hmm. How could, you can't do everything. You got to, you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose the things you're going to pursue. So I never really got into golf. But what's interesting is the correlation between golf and skiing is significant because you were talking about your skiing and how you have a desire to in, improve your technique. Yeah. Same with golf, right? Oh, yeah. Anybody can go out on the course and, and hack around the golf course, but... You don't want to do that. You want to get better at the game. It's all technique, yeah. And skiing is very similar when you when you learn to ski well and you ski with good technique. It's really fun to um, to do something at a level that is technically good and proficient. And same with golf. Same you know same idea. So so like what what's a couple things when you when you go skiing and you say to the Maybe it's above a beginner, someone that's, you know, kind of got off the bunny hill maybe, or maybe he's even on the bunny hill starting. Like, what's the main things when you focus on in skiing? Because this is the thing that I've, I've talked to uh, Jody Parks. Yeah. I, every time I went up to Whiteface, she was that white. I, I don't think she left Whiteface. I, think, <laughs> I know. I, she's a good re- friend of mine. We first year retirement, I think she had, a, I think her locker was actually yeah. a pole, like a yeah. Murphy bed that came down. So, um, but she was telling me too, she goes, she, you basically, you try to keep your torso pointed down the mountain and you do a lot of turning with your more with your like your knees and knees and hips but you kind of you, you generate more of your legs and your body you're not like turning yeah. your body to to like do this rigid structure right. and then i of course i'm watching like youtube videos on how to ski so i like when i get it like find something i'm like i really want to understand how yeah. to do it and about you know doing these kind of like the cuts with your your lead ski is that what they would determine well, downhill ski. Your downhill ski. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like cutting on that. And then some people were telling me you could basically, if you're cutting, almost lift up your inside ski or your uphill ski. I guess right. uphill ski. Right, yeah. right. You right. could almost lift it up because right. you're putting all the pressure. Exactly. And I was like, oh, because when I was first learning how to ski, I would do like the, the quick like cut with the, the right. inside ski and just kind of flipped around. Right. So I've gotten a little bit better at it. But I think the, the one thing that I've had the hardest time doing is keeping the skis tight together. Mm-hmm. You see these people are really good and they're going down and like their skis... They don't move from each other. They're, they're just right. staying in this right. tight little, and I'm so nervous I'm going to cross them or I'm going to cut or catch the back like back part of the ski on my other back part of my ski and then spin out. And that's been the hardest thing is just learning how to keep it really tight like, right. with the skis. Right. Is that, am I on the right path? You are, but there's a fundamental that comes even before all that. And it's the same with any athletic sport any any activity any athletic activity same concept applies whether you're playing little league baseball or soccer or basketball or wrestling any sport the fundamental is the same and it's stance like and that's stance. where people go wrong we were i was skiing um we did a little rotary ski day and ryan ryan was there i love that guy and he said to me, Jared was there too. I love that guy. But Ryan, Ryan said to me, um, John, I want, I want to ski like you. What the <laughs> hell am I doing wrong? And I said, 
you're asking me for advice? He said, please, because I don't, you know, I don't want to tell yeah. people this is what, this is the way you should skate. You know, I don't want to do that. But he asked and he said, would you please give me? And I said, sure, because, you know, I enjoy that part of it too. <laughs> um, and I showed him the proper stance because he was too upright and he was almost a little bit what they call backseat. So he was standing up straight, almost a little bit backseat. And so I showed him what the proper stance was, which was much more forward than he was skiing in. Um, and, and I got him in that position and I said, feel that position you're in the stance, feel that stance. Um, and that's where you should be skiing all the time, any conditions, any run, the, the stance is fundamental. You never change that stance. So what would be the stance? The stance, interestingly enough, is not, is not any different than any other other athletic stance think of your think of play like baseball you ever baseball. play baseball yep. think of yourself even in the batter's box or shortstop yeah you're basically your toes your knees and your shoulders are aligning mm-hmm. um and your weight is forward and you're ready you're at that ready position whether it's ready to hit the ball or ready to move to catch the ball mm-hmm. um and um that's where that separates a good skier from a not good skier um, is their stance. You'll see little old ladies, frankly, or mm-hmm. old men, if they're skiing with a good stance, you might be on the chairlift looking down and saying, look at that old guy. He's beautiful. Look at how beautiful he skis because yeah. he's using the right kind of stance. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's the fundamental. And if you can get that, sort of ingrained then everything else comes together and ryan by the end of the day he's like wow he said Nine I, day. yeah I, I said wow i said to him you're skiing a lot better he said john i can't believe the difference between an hour ago and and now and a lot of it has to do with like the forward i say forward press but your shins go slightly forward right? because the boot the way the boot's set up it almost forces you to go down correct that makes sense i mean it's it's uh yeah like i said it, it's just I'll have to keep that in mind next time I go because I, I kind of feel, but I, I think I gravitate more to to what Ryan said that, or what you said with Ryan, just kind of that sit back. back I find seat, sometimes yeah. I'm like, if I, sometimes I feel like I'm almost going to fall over because you're skiing and then you kind of do this like quick like reaction and then you kind of get back into it where I find I get too almost lazy and I kind of start like f- kind of pulling myself back a little bit right. and I'm not like chest down and really like diving going and forward. And that throws your technique off the other thing galen when you get back out there in november um is um i told ryan this too if you if your your hands if you can't see your hands in your peripheral vision then they're not where they need to be like right now i i'm i can see both of my hands but now i can't i can't see my right hand Yeah. yeah and that's where you want to be you want to have your hands in your peripheral vision because that naturally brings you forward when you drop your hands you tend to go back yeah bring your hands yep. forward and it brings you forward so hands in view what's what's the purpose of poles in skiing poles brian asked me this question did he because yeah. besides like yeah. on a flat part like pushing you along but yeah. That's really not what... I was going to say, there's got to be more... Therefore, they're part of the fluidity and cadence of the turns. So 
you initiate a turn with your pole and you'll get there. Ryan's okay. working on this. Okay. Because he, that was the part he, he said, I don't really get the pole part yet. I said, don't worry about the pole part yet. As long as you can see your hands, just leave them out where you can see them. Mm-hmm. But eventually, um, it's similar to golf and other techniques. You, you learn these, you know, these other the nuances, nuances yeah. of the technique. Um, it actually, you use your poles to initiate each turn. So you lead the turn with your pole. You reach, you reach forward. Plant the pole gently. That's what initiates your your turn. Then as you're beginning to make your other turn, you initiate it by reaching out and and um, placing your pole, um, planting your pole. Um, and it creates a balance and a cadence and a rhythm that is part of the equation. So if I turn left, what pole would you put down? Left. So you put your left and you almost like pivot around it. Correct. Well, inside of it. Yep. So I I would put it down, and then obviously my bottom downhill ski would cut around it, and I'd follow suit. No, if you're if you're leading with your right ski, like you just were motioning, Mm -hmm. you would lead with your right hand. Your hand and your ski follow each other. You're planting that pole on the same side as you're initiating the turn. So if I wanted to turn left, I'd plant my right pole and push left. I'd push my right hand down and push left the turn left. Yeah, but you're not really pushing um, because you're more reaching out in front and you're planting the pole gently. It's a very gentle plant. There's really no pushing. And you'll see people like making their turn and their their arms are kind of flailing like they're trying to propel themselves with their pole. And that's not good technique. Okay, so go, going, I'm going the opposite. So now it's kind of like if I'm going downhill like this and I want to go this way so mm-hmm. i'm coming down and turning like this i would put that right pole down correct and then i just slowly kind of grab it exactly oh. the pole leads and then the ski follows hmm. i know it's it's like backwards in my mind yeah i, I know ryan left down and pivot around yeah, it ryan was saying the same thing he said i just can't get that i said it'll come yeah you know it'll it'll come so so what about um this is good we'll, we'll take you up on your offer next year to yeah look forward to it, it yeah it'd be fun the uh so fly fishing where'd you get into fly fishing I got into fly fishing um, as a young man. Um, I, I grew up around fishing in general, um, including fly fishing, but in a fishing family. My father was a fanatic outdoorsman. Um, and um, around the time that we moved, Karen and I moved from the Utica area to live in Saranac Lake right after Paul Smith, um, I went to work for a friend of mine who... Uh, who owned a Orvis dealership in Lake Placid called Jones Outfitters? What is and an or- Orvis, which is um, a fly fishing company, okay. it's, it's kind of like LL Bean, similar. Oh, okay. Yep, um, but known for their fly fishing gear, and they they do clothing and footwear as well. But um, he he had this place called Jones Outfitters, and I was um, wanting to be a guide, a fishing, canoeing, and hiking guide. And so I approached him and ended up working for him um, and learned a great deal from him and um, became a fly fishing instructor under his tutelage um, and just have become a real fanatic about it. It's it's, um, similar to skiing and golf where you just escape other things and just 
um, enjoy the moment and the serenity of it and the camaraderie of it. Um, and um, it's just a phenomenal pastime. And, and, the, and the, the aspects in which you can develop your love for that sport are endless, endless. So are you a fishing guide or could be fly fishing guide? Um, I was. You, I, yeah, I don't, I do not keep the license current, but I, I have done that. So h- how long would a typical day of fly fishing last roughly? Like, is it early morning? Is it afternoon? Is it evening? Is there a time? It's the best time to go is the time you can go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, um, we got a place up on Shazy Lake that, um, we, I don't own it, but a friend of mine in California owns it and he never uses it. So he just asked me to keep an eye on yeah, it good and use yeah. it to our heart's content. Not a bad deal. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I have a dock in there and my boat's there and everything. So, um, in the, uh, this time of year, I'll start going up there in the evening. So have dinner at the house, maybe, um, by six 30, I'm on my way to Shazy Lake and by seven, I'm on the water. Um, and I'm done by, you know, seven forty-five or eight, um, so, and then other times it's a full day excursion. Um, I'm also a fanatic salmon fisherman, so fly fishing for salmon here in the Saranac River. They run out of Lake Champlain in the fall, typically. Okay. And, um, you know, that can be an all day thing where you go because they're really challenging and it might take all day to get to hook one, and you could fish all day and not hook one. Um, but, you know, I fished for as Few is 10 minutes and as long as 10 hours. So it depends. Can you fillet your fish when you get them? You can, but um, I don't typically keep fish anymore because I kind of lost my taste for for fish. We, we did catch a nice um, uh, bunch of brook trout in a pond in the remote part of the Adirondacks, not far from Paul Smith's, a pond we were fishing in the fall, and uh, I had my sons and a few friends we were out and somebody said you know can we can we keep a few of these fish and we'll cook them over the fire I brought a skillet Mm -hmm. and um we did that and they were wild brook trout from the Adirondacks uh, cooked over an open fire was phenomenal but typically I don't eat fish anymore so and not that I have anything Mm -hmm. against it I just kind of lost my taste for it so I love the taste of fish the only thing with fish if I was to go to a restaurant it doesn't fill me up as much if I was like, I like getting a steak if I go to a restaurant right. or something like that. Right. So that's really the only, my only caveat. And that salmon, I love salmon because salmon yeah. does have a tendency to fill me up. But um, yeah, so I, I, I get that. The, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you know him. I think everybody knows him. Aaron Benner. Sure. Did he ever talk to you about fly fishing? You know he what? He got into it and like, he kept showing me videos and pictures and like, I don't think so, but I think I heard from somebody that he was getting into it, but I don't think you he should, and I have ever talked about it. You should you should force him to go because he was getting up like he talk about technique and he's like he was getting into he's it. He's right down the hall, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah. Just uh, yeah, someone that you may want to talk to about fly fishing. Yeah, okay, because I, I mean he, he's he's it'd be like me talking to you. I, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, because good friend of mine, so I can say this. He. My skiing ability, I think, is probably on par with his fly fishing okay. ability. So he's like a new newbie. As he's good enough to go, and but yeah. I, I'm sure he would love to pick someone's brain. That's that's uh, uh, like I said, well, has many 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 uh, casts in there. When you see him, tell him 
that you take get in touch with me. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Because I enjoy that. I'll make I'll make a note, and if nothing else, I mean, you might have to tell him not to scare the fish away, but he. uh, But no, he'd have a good time. No, I really enjoy. If there's something I love, whether it's skiing or fly fishing, I enjoy sharing that love with other people and creating like this infectious, mm-hmm. you know, love for it. Like I hope that after we're done here today, obviously you love skiing and you're really looking forward to it. But I hope that you'll be even more so because my I hope my enthusiasm for it has sort of infected you, if it, you will. It, yes, it has. And, and the other thing that we, when we discuss, like when me, Jared, and Adam leave the mountain or Ryan and we come back, we talk the whole ride back about how much fun the skiing yeah. was and that like you're just like the yeah. rest of your days, just your mood's elevated. Right. And it's the craziest. It's almost like you took like this this natural drug of just like endorphins where you're like, oh my God, this is just the weather and the, and the, the sights and the sounds and just the adrenaline of going down a mountain. And all of a sudden you're just like two hours at that point, you're, you're starting to get a little sore. Your quads are starting to burn a bit. And yeah. you're like, you know what? That was just a blast. And you yeah. just, you spend the whole time coming back just chit-chatting. Well, you know, there's that term way back when of, they used to say après ski. And so it was, you know, back in the seventies, eighties and nineties, that was a, common term after ski yeah um and there's a reason for that and you know like women's fashion had apres ski clothing and you know apres ski and you'll even see bars now and restaurants that you know promote apres ski and there's a reason for it and that that reason is what you just described there's a there's a sense of real satisfaction and uh it's like a post ski high kind of thing. Contentment, just like cloud nine. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So apres ski is a great feeling. We, so we wanted to. This was, this was March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Me, Adam, and Jared, we had bought an Airbnb over at Jay. We neither of us had been. None of us had been to Jay. Yeah. So we we're planning on going, and I forgot what day it was. It was like it was a weeknight. We, we were planning on leaving after work, driving up. Getting this Airbnb, it was right across from like a bar restaurant, go there, go skiing the next day and come back. And it was just spending a full day at Jay, taking basically a full day off and just go skiing. And then COVID hit and we couldn't go. Yeah. And uh, they closed the mountain, but we were looking forward to that. So hopefully yeah. next year, we, we, we weren't able to tack it on this year, but hopefully next year we can do it. But yeah. that was, I've never been on a ski trip. So like I said, I mean, we lose that term lightly, but like you said that when you and your wife went to um, Jay and had the overnight, yeah. just same idea, just go and... Yeah. You know, kind of play play hooky for a day, and you're uh, gonna have a ball. Oh, it'd be so much fun, yeah, and just with buddies and yeah. having laughs, and again, none of us take each other serious, so we're right. all just having a good time. Right. But um, now, the other thing. So this is one thing I had. I, I did do a little research on you about. Um, oh, you are. <laughs> I love how you worded this, but uh, you play guitar. I do. And if you, you could, you know, I don't know if you'd want to call it that. But. You said play guitar, sing a little, but any audiences are short-lived in shell shock. So uh, <laughs> I'm hoping shell shock just by the pure sound of just like, like, you know, angels' wings and just sound just blasting out of your amp. But <laughs> what, how, how often do you play guitar? Not too often anymore, but I'll pick it up like um, right now just a couple times a year. Um, but I, I never really perfected it but interestingly enough even when i was a a youngster 10 11 12 years old we were forming these bands back then and we thought you know we thought we were really cool the 70s uh uh yep late 70s or like 79 that was was big yep yep. bands back then oh yeah 
Um, and uh, back then I was playing keyboards so and singing. I thought I could sing back then. <laughs> and then um, I just sort of picked away at the guitar. I've never, I've never took any lessons. I just learned three or four chords. And it's, what's funny about guitar is if you can play three chords, yep. you can play, and they're C, D, and G. G yep. If you can play C, D, and G, you Get can... Get Johnny Cash uncovered. And any Beatles, anything, yeah. you name it. And even if the chords don't fit that song, you can make the song fit the chords. So I, uh, I used to play probably ten years ago. I'd say in college, there was like about a year where I played a lot, and it was just just playing. It was fun. It not no no teachers, just self taught. YouTube, printing off uh, tablatures and yeah. trying to play it. Playing with buddies that knew how to play. And you pick up on stuff and you get, you know, you build the calluses up and you start, you know, a yeah. lot of it's just the muscle, like, yeah, your hand's not cramping. Um, but you start going through and it's always one, I tried to start it during COVID, um, about a year ago, a little, yeah, about a year ago. I was like, you know what? I got some time. Let me just try to get back into guitar. And I tried and it was short lived. I, I wasn't able to pick it up, but there's something fun about a guitar. Even to this day, when I, I pick up a guitar, CD and uh, G, I, all day long I can play. And yeah. I got some chords that I... I still know, and you know, you play like the D minor chord, and you right. play like you start going into the minors, and and I, I haven't gotten good at the scales. Um, I used to be able to play songs more by memory, not by theory. Like right. guitar theory and the scales and stuff. Like I've tried doing the scales, and you try to understand the theory of guitar, which is a, a complete science. Oh yeah. Um, but I was more of like, give me chords, let me just strum along to my favorite songs. Let me just, str- you know, it's just more of just something fun. You could play and like, oh, I know that song, and or I've heard that song, or that song. Like, if I'll play, my wife be like, oh, you're playing that song, and right. it's not great. It means butchered up, but it's still the. To me, it's like a, it's it's like a puzzle you're trying to figure out, and it's meant. And then of course, again, like, you're sitting there trying to learn it, and the mental aspect of like brain to finger and trying to like do it where you're not thinking about it, but yeah. just more reactionary. And then I find that there's something to be said about trying to play something, and then after you played it for. A couple hours because when you're playing guitar time just flies because oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're like, you're like it's three hours later and like wait i've been hitting the song for and then you kind of have a little bit of a rhythm to it and it's kind of cool and, and the thing with guitar i think once you kind of get the muscle memory of like how the chord or how the song's supposed to progress you can pick it up pretty quickly because it's crazy how just learning like a couple shapes and all of a sudden like you pick it up again the next day and it kind of is still there yeah um it's fun like i, I it's one it's one hobby as I get older, that I want to try to prioritize a little bit more. Right now, it's just so far down the list of things in my life that I can, like you said, right. put time towards. Right. But um, it's something I would love to play. And I yeah. think it's, I love listening to live music. Oh, yeah. like, I just have such a fascination with how good these people are that play music and just every note is just perfect. And it's like, it's just, and again, like the, the virtuosity of just like moving the fingers and just like effortlessly playing and like, talking having conversations and singing and your hands yeah. are just moving I'm like, yeah how is that possible well one of the coolest things i can say about my youth is um and some of these artists you have heard of and others you're going to be like who's that <laughs> but um uh i had the pleasure of meeting and sharing guitars and harmonicas um with neil young Really? At the New York State Fair, we, uh, we were parking. Um, Syracuse? Yeah, we were, a uh, buddy of mine, um, his grandmother was like the fair head honcho or whatever. 
Um, and so we got this choice job one summer parking buses. So, you know, you stand there and you wave these big park, these buses coming in. So here comes this big bus. And, you know, I'm like a junior in high school by now. So, you know, I, we, we knew what was going on. We, we waved this bus in and, um, and door opens, there's Neil Young. And we ended up hanging out with him for about an hour and we strummed guitars and he played my buddy's harmonica and you know we sang a couple songs together so cool um so that was really cool and then um i met jackson brown twice um big jackson brown fan especially his early stuff um and um when i was a sophomore in high school this is this is cool when I was a sophomore in high school, my kids, by the way, think this is the coolest thing about okay, so it's the They don't think there. much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they don't think much is cool. So the kids are giving dad some props there. Yeah. One cool thing. As a sophomore in high school, um, so between sophomore and junior year, so this is like 82-ish, something like that, um, three buddies and myself, so four of us packed into a Chevy Chevette, which was this little car back in the day went on tour with the Grateful Dead and we went, I saw 17 shows that summer. And of course, we're 16 years old. When was this? What, I, 80, I, I love the Grateful Dead. So I'm this a is, deadhead. Yeah. Are you? I, oh, this. I'll put that right out there. I'm a proud and gratefully dedicated. That's, I okay? love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and so were my kids, so by the way. this was the original lineup, Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw Dead and Company, too, two years ago. Okay, yeah. yep. But no, um, this is the real deal in the 80s. This is, you know, this is when, you know, they were in their prime. Yeah. Um, and they had, um, uh, what was his name, the keyboardist? Uh, uh, it was, so it was the Brent Midland era. You know, Brent Midland was one of the keyboardists. Oh, I, I remember the name, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, um, Jerry was in his prime, yep. you know. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, we went, um, no, I take that back. That summer, we we saw the dead 11 times that summer. But in total, I've been to 17 dead shows. And 11 in one season. So, and 11 in one summer. And that's one of the proudest Things I could cool. say. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I wish I would have done that. I, I, I saw the dead. This is when they were the dead. Yeah. It was in 2009. And it was the original lineup. Um, Bob and Phil. Phil Lesh was playing with them at the time. Right. And Mickey and... But not Jerry, obviously. Jerry, so this no, was no, after. So they were still playing as the dead then, though? Yeah, Mickey Hart, Bob. Okay. Uh, is it Bob? Who's the other uh, drummer? Mickey... Phil Kreutzman, Kreutzman, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And not then, Phil, but Bill, uh, Bill, Bill Kreutzmann. that's it, yeah, yep. yeah, Bill. I was gonna say Bob. I'm like, no, Bob Weir, Phil Lesh was playing. Yeah. So then uh, they had Warren Haynes playing for Jerry oh, at the right, time. Oh right, right. So this is before John oh, Mayer. Oh yes, sure. So it's 2009. So uh, sure. Warren Haynes came out. Yeah. Fantastic. And, yeah. And so it was funny. I was I was thinking I was 19 at the time, and it was down in Albany. The first time I'd ever been to a dead show, and my uncle was like, I mean, to this day, lifelong deadhead. And the thing was when we were when we were kids, going to my, like, especially in the summer, I'd spend a lot of time, our campus down in Chazy, um, uh, down in Chazy Landing area, yeah. and um, my cousin lived just down the road, and so we spent a lot of time together, so I'd go to my uncle's house, my, my aunt, uncle's house, and cousin's house, and he just always had music on, and this was, and I, I never, back in the day, it was, he would have records on, and he'd have these old records, oh, yeah. and cassettes, and 
And then it wasn't until they started doing the XM radio. He got the XM radio, so they had the Grateful Dead channel. Oh, yeah. And they had this little TV that would sit above the fridge. I guarantee you, if I went over today, it would probably still be there. And all, I'm just, it, it was to the point where back in the day, it used to be a bunch of different stuff. But Grateful Dead was like, I'd probably say 70% of it. And then once they had the XM radio, it was just Grateful Dead. So there was always music. You'd go in the middle of the day to drop something off, and they would have, it would just be playing. So my love from the dead was then, because I just knew all these songs, because you're just a little kid, and they just become your white noise to you. Yep. So we ended up going down, and the trippiest concert experience I've ever went to, because we went down Shakedown Street, and it was, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a festival. And, oh, uh, yeah. And I just, I never, I never forget, we started, the, we started the concert, Upper Decks, they played Casey Jones, and the thing is, a four-hour concert, they probably played 15 songs, because right. there's so much just right. space and everything yeah. else, and then we finished the concert about 20 rows, 15 to 20 rows on the floor, back from the stage. Um, throwing stones, they played that. They played that, which I liked, and then they had a huge, felt like a half hour, but it was a big drum solo. Yeah, space, space, space and drums. Oof. Yeah, they can. So it was just Mickey and Bill just jamming <laughs> yeah. on the drums. They had like a the big drum in the back, and they're just yeah. sitting there cranking on it, and it was a pretty good time. It's the only time I've gone. I, the problem is, is trying to find people to go with. Right. Like I love the Grateful Dead. I go watch or the Dead and Company. I would watch oh, them down. They're great. Because I want to see John Mayer play oh, with them. Because John's fantastic. They're so great. Yeah, and. Uh, but that, that I didn't know about that that or didn't know that about you. But that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm a big deadhead. So do you play that around the office at times? I do. Um, a little background noise. Un- unfortunately, um, it's the only thing. Unfortunately for some people, it's the only thing that is on in my vehicle all the time because satellite radio, yeah. Grateful Dead uh, station. Twenty three. Uh, is it? Something I like think that. it is twenty three. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I sneak it on my wife's on the car. I'll put it on. Yeah. Yeah, my wife is. My wife likes it too, but she after a while she's like, "Can we listen to something else other yeah. than the Grateful Dead all the way to Jay Peak and yeah. back?" You know, Slide how, up, how many times are you going to listen to? Bertha, yeah, and I'll say, but everyone's different. Yeah. <laughs> the lie from the forum in yeah, yeah. nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> yeah. The uh, no, I think that's yeah. The, um, so is that your favorite band, Grateful Dead? If you had to pick, yes. Although, God, I, uh, I'm just such a music fanatic. That's a hard one. Um, I was influenced by um, certainly by the Dead in my in my youth, um, but. You know, Bob Dylan has been a huge influence in in my musical taste. I'm a big Neil Young fan. Um, And um, like I said, Jackson Brown. I got a thing for the the, 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 um, rock and roll that came out of the California scene during the 70s is significant to me. Dead, you know, dead started in the '60s, but really took off in the in the '70s. But music like, and I'll just throw some out there for you. Um, music like um, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Nash and yeah. Young, um, the Eagles, uh, Janis Joplin, um, even the Beach Boys. You know, the Beach Boys. Love the Beach Boys. The yeah. Beach Boys hung out with all those same artists that I just mentioned, uh, particularly the Eagles, and um, there was a couple of. Um, areas in the in that um, California area that they all lived close to each other. So all like like I don't know if you realize like the um, uh, Glenn Fry from the Eagles lived downstairs from Jackson Brown. So really? They, yeah. And so Glenn wanted a Glenn wanted to be a songwriter. 
Jackson, they were about the same age, but Jackson, Jackson Brown's a great songwriter, and a lot of his songs have been done by other artists. You wouldn't even know that Jackson wrote it, but um, Glenn would hear these songs through the, you know, through the ceiling, and and he was inspired by Jackson. And one of the one of the greatest Eagles songs of all time is "Take It Easy," oh, yeah. um, and that's actually written by Jackson Brown. And Jackson was playing it and singing it, and Glenn went up there one day and. And um, Jackson said to Glenn Fry, I can't finish this song. I can't seem to get it finished. And Glenn said, well, try this. And he threw those, some lyrics out like, it's a girl, my Lord, and a flatbed Ford. Ford. Yeah. yeah, that's Glenn. Glenn put that really? in there. Yeah. I mean, I just love all that. I just love all that stuff. The musical doc, like when I watch um, TV, like I like watching documentaries. And music documentaries are one of my favorite things to watch. And... Um, you're, it was, I think it's called The Other One about Bob Weir. Oh, yes. Uh, that, fantastic. Yeah. And oh, yeah. you start going, especially the music that I like to listen to, you start yeah. to go back and start to watch. Because I've seen like Led Zeppelin. I've seen Queen. I've yeah. seen, you know, you start going back to some of these um, artists. That, I mean, the Beatles, obviously, you, like, they have so many things that you can watch. Oh, yeah. But it's kind of cool when you go back and find the roots of where these guys started. And they become cultural icons. But especially the 60s and 70s, more so than I think even today, these people just like transcended the culture of like what was going on. And uh, just to see, like you said, like they shared an apartment or these two guys they met in college and got together and then like played in dive bars and all of a sudden like met this other guy and made it big. And it's it's so crazy when you look at the backstories of where these people came from. I love and that. It's it's so cool. I, I watch those documentaries all the time. Um, in fact, there's a great one on the dead if you haven't seen it. It's called Long Strange Trip. I don't on, know if you've seen that. you got to see this. It's on Netflix. Long Strange Trip. It's on now? Right now? Yeah. Really? You can get it anytime. It's on Netflix called Long Strange Trip. Uh, it might be Amazon Prime. It's one or the I mean, other. I'll get it either yeah, way. Either way. Long Strange Trip. It's actually a, a series. I think it's seven episodes, and it takes you through the entire history of the Grateful Dead with actual footage and um, interviews, and it's just phenomenal. Right from, like, whenever they started 64, Four sixty-five, right up through to the very end when Jerry died and yeah. even beyond. It's phenomenal. Oh, I'll check it out because the other ones with Bob Weir was fantastic. I yeah. mean, Bob's, I mean, that was such a... The thing is now, it's so cool because back in the day, Bob was like... He's always, he's always weird because he was clean-shaven. Right. And as he got older, he just like he kind of yeah. turned into Jerry yeah. almost. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so now he's got like the beard... or the, He's not even a beard, but the all mustache. Gray. And, yeah. yeah, all gray. Yeah. But man, just a great shape too. Bob's Unbelievable. fantastic. I mean, yeah. that guy... Like I said, just as he's gotten older, I think he's just put a premium on staying in shape. Yeah. And he's, I think, better shape now than he was back then, just yeah. like physically. So, um, no, I'll, I'll check that one out. I, yeah. I think long, uh, strange trip. Yeah, no, that's uh, you'll love it, especially if it's like a like a mini series kind of thing. Those are because then they go really in depth. You know, it's not like a two hour or even an hour and forty five minutes. Like we're gonna dive in and give you like eight to ten hours of just like you said, oh, yeah. just peeling back the curtain. And, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, anything. Anything new, music-wise, that jumps out to you? Say new-ish. Like, is it mostly like new-ish? Yeah, you know, a lot of it's really good. My son, um, my sons are all music fanatics, and my um, my middle son's been on this bluegrass kick, so he's been really looking for these new modern bluegrass artists. So young young men and women your age that are making their own version of bluegrass. Some of it's phenomenal. Um, 
there's a man and woman. Um, they call themselves something. It's going to come to me. Um, they're really phenomenal. Um, I enjoy that. Um, and you know what I've been listening to? It's newish. It's not new. It's newish. But I've been I've been really getting into Jack Johnson lately. If you listen to some of his so stuff, fantastic. So I was listening to it this morning. So Jack Johnson. If I had to pick like top. For a handful of years, is my favorite artist. Yeah. So I started listening to him in 05 when um, In Between Dreams album came out. Yeah. I have almost, I've seen him six times, I think, in person. Have you? And I started, my first concert was 08. And I typically, if he tours, I go see him. And I've seen him in multiple spots around the Northeast. Yeah. One of my favorites. It's great. And the thing is with him, he does a lot of a lot of um, bar chords, a lot of like chords. If you try to play his songs, um, he does a lot of like slapping. Because he does yes. he use a lot of pick. It's just a right, lot of just right, like toot right. toot. And, I've I've watched a lot of his stuff and it's just very simplistic. It's yeah. a, and um, great stuff. Fan, he's 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 up when I I'd have to say like when you talk like influential. I know he's kind of more like beach hippie music. Right from fifteen up until probably twenty five, I listened to him so much. And yeah. then the last few years, it you know I still listen to him, but not as much as like I right. listen to a lot of Dave Matthews and Dispatch right. and a lot of these um, bands. But uh, no, Jack is really good. Yeah. You know, you know what else you can check out. I'm sure you probably already have, but um, I think you got to YouTube this. But it's NPR Tiny Desk yeah, Concert know, Series. Yeah, and they play in the little little closet, closet, but the little room. Phenomenal. Um, and if you scroll across, you can find all these artists, including Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I just came across one the other night. We were watching. I couldn't believe how phenomenal it was. And you may or may not like this band. But you can't deny the guy's talent. So the band is Coldplay, and the and the artist is Chris Martin, and he does right. Chris Martin, did I get that yes. right? Yeah. Yep. And so he does this tiny desk series with a choir behind him. Mm-hmm. They're all crowded into this little closet. Mm-hmm. So it's his best friend, the guitarist, who you yep. probably know his name, Johnny Buckley. Yep. yep. And and Chris yep. with this choir behind him, this African American church choir they're phenomenal and they're it's just unbelievable you got to check it out you know, tonight you got to well, check that well, out. you know why i'm smiling because i've seen it okay so my wife favorite band is coldplay so okay. you name two bands that i've seen the probably the most in my All life right, so i've okay. seen coldplay multiple times All right. we actually we're running out of time so i won't tell the whole story but we ended up seeing back-to-back shows up in montreal this was pre-kids so this was about four or five years ago and uh i think four years ago and we ended up going up watched a saturday uh friday night and we didn't have tickets for Saturday night. So I remember about midway through the day, I'm like, well, if we can't get tickets, like, we'll just go home. Not a big deal. My wife's like, yeah, you know, we'll just go home. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know what? We're in Montreal. They're playing tonight. It's our favorite band. I'm like, let's, kind of one of those things. Like, let's, yeah. we got we to gotta do it again. Like, we yeah. already seen, we already seen them twice on this tour. We got to do it again. So yeah. we do the whole thing. So I remember talking to her. I'm like, we're going to go to the ticket line um, at the Bell Center. And if they have tickets... We'll see if they have tickets. If it's sold out, it is what it is. If not, we'll try to get tickets. So we walk up. We're standing in line. We're standing in line. And people are going. Some people are getting tickets. Some are not. Just picking up a will call. And I was, I kid you not, I'm less than me to the doorway. We're probably like three in line. And I was thinking in my head, you know what? It's stupid. We're not even going to ask them. We're just going to We're gonna turn around. Let's just leave. It's, yeah. well, I don't know why we're even doing this. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever. Let's just do it. We get up. I'm like, hey. Are there any tickets tonight? And I'm in my head thinking there's no chance. Yeah, You're going to say, course. hey, sold out, man. Sorry. Yeah. They go, um, yeah, actually, we do have a few that opened up. And I'm like, okay. And of course, me, I'm like, okay, yeah, awesome. Where, where are they? They go, well, I, I, got, I got two that just opened up on the floor. 
So I go, <laughs> so of course, I'm like trying to play it cool. So I'm like, well, where on the floor? Where on the floor? <laughs> Meanwhile, my heart's like pumping like this. So she goes, oh, there's, there's uh, row G. I can do the math in my head. Row G is yeah. number six, I think, or yeah. seven. Yeah. So we kind of do this whole thing. She goes, well, I said, okay. And they're selling them at face value. So I'm like, whatever, we're here. So I'm like, my wife's sitting next to me. I'm like, okay, we'll take them. And her eyes got this big because she didn't think what I was going to do it. I'm like, whatever, we're here. And, and then I go, it's Canadian exchange, whatever. So I gave her this line. So we go out, we have dinner. We do the whole thing, not knowing where, this, where our seats are, knowing they're on the floor or whatever. So we start going down and we're walking on the floor now and her eyes are lighting up because it's literally what we saw the night before, but we're now closer. So we go and they're like, okay, here's your seats. And we're all the way to the far end up against basically where the hockey wall would be uh, or the boards would be. And I'm looking down and she's sitting there. She seats us. And I kind of look under her seat just to bear it. I want to make sure I'm not in someone. I'm in, sitting in the right seat. And I look down and I'm like, hey, miss, th- these aren't matching up to what we have. Like our tickets or whatever. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. So she takes us, walks us down around the front. So now we're, we're walking around the line, goes down to where they kind of like the catwalk thing that comes up and goes, oh, here are your seats. Even so we're on, the two, we're on the two farthest right. No, we're on the two farthest left. Okay. So what happened was we go to sit down six rows back. Right where the catwalk starts to curve to go out, we're right there. And he said, oh, because you're on the aisle, here's your these bands. I'm like, what's the bands mean? They mean you can stand up the entire time if you want. So not only did we get tickets, we got right on the catwalk. We have a ton of photos. And if he had to, you talk about moments in life that you'll talk about for the rest of your life with your yeah. spouse. This is one of them that we got before kids, like her right. favorite band, right. spur of the moment. I was two seconds away from saying, you know what? Screw this. We're walking out. And it turned out to be one of the most memorable. Isn't that phenomenal? And so it was like one of those things where you say Coldplay. I'm like, exactly. And Cold, and that was her new album too. So yeah. Um, the, the, actually, the one the one I was going to mention was, um, well, it's not anymore, Cat Stevens. But he came on, because it's talking about like old guitar and like folk. Yeah. And he came on and played a couple songs, including um, my my favorite song by him. I always get the name wrong. Um, what do you mean? At this concert you're talking no, about? No, no, no. The Tiny Desk. Oh, yeah. I just no, saw Cat the other, last night well, I saw He's got Kat. his uh, Israeli name now or whatever. Yeah, but Youssef. Youssef yeah. yeah. So, but he played, um, uh, what's, what's the name? The one that Rod Stewart made famous? I don't think so. No, okay. no, no, no. It was the, uh, oh my God, it's a classic song and I can never think of it. It's about the little boy. Not father and son. Not father and son. Nope. It's, uh, that's a great song too. It's, uh, am I thinking the right one? Relax, take it easy. That's father and son. Yeah, that is father and son. Okay. Maybe that's. Is that it. the song? That's, I think that's, yeah, that's the one. father and another son. song. No, the other song I'm thinking of is by uh, James Taylor. Oh, and okay. that's uh, if you said it, I would know it, but yes, Father and Son was yeah, the one Father he sang, and, Son. Yeah. and that was a fin- fantastic song. Oh, so, yeah. but John, we're getting short on time. I appreciate you. I'm sure we could. T- we'll, we'll talk about music on the lift and on the ski lift. I'll look forward. This to was it. good. It was a great meeting you, like formally meeting you, and getting to pick your brain a little bit. And um, John, for anybody that wants to reach out, wants to you know help out in any way, what can they do? Where can they go? Who can they talk to? Well, contact us at United Way of the Adirondack Region because we will help you with whatever it is you're looking for. Maybe it's volunteer opportunity. Maybe it's wanting to make a donation in something meaningful. Maybe it's because you have an idea about something that can help people in the community. Or maybe it's because you need help and you're not sure where to turn. Call us, 518-563-0028. That's our main office. You can also visit our website. Just Google us. You'll find us. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from people, and we're always willing to do whatever we can to make a difference in this tremendous place that we live. Awesome. Well, 
John, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I look forward to I'm, I'm sure I'll be seeing you more in the future. But um, this, again, is episode 127 of the Galen Trombley Show with Mr. John Bernardi. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.